0: the future is going to be one of of u.s china tension and and that was that was clear before she got his third five-year term as president
1: hi everyone samantha asheris here and that was michael cunningham we are bringing you a special bonus episode of the daily signal podcast Michael Cunningham, a research fellow in the Asian Studies Center here at the Heritage Foundation, is joining us for today's episode. Michael, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me again.
1: So as our audience might recall from your appearance on the show last week, the People's Republic of China recently held its National People's Congress. There were some major takeaways from the event that I want to discuss. But first and foremost, can you remind our listeners what the National People's Congress is?
0: Well, the National People's Congress is China's legislature, on paper at least. Uh, Decisions are really made by the ruling party, the Chinese Communist Party. But they they have this legislature, and the fall legislature meets once a year uh, in the spring, and so that's what just happened. Um, Now, it happens alongside another meeting of um, a political advisory body called the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference which um so sometimes when you read the news you might see it called the two meetings or the two sessions but the really important one was this national people's congress meeting
1: something i wanted to discuss further with you was the report on the work of government and this report was delivered by the outgoing chinese premier during the first session of the congress back on march 5th uh, can you walk us through some aspects of the report and some of the key takeaways.
0: Yeah. So this report is really it generally every year is the most authoritative statement on policy for the year ahead. So the Communist Party gives directives and we saw a lot of that at the party Congress last uh, last fall. But the government then turns it into concrete policy. This year's work report was a little different. And the reason is, as you said, uh, it, it was the outgoing premier. There's a new premier that was appointed um, as, as planned. And um, so rather than going in-depth and, and spelling out everything that the government's uh, planning to do for the year ahead... Um, what what it did was essentially gave uh, recommendations and the recommendations are very much in line with uh, the vision that she has has uh, pronounced, um, very much in line with what the incoming premier Lee Chang has been stating. But uh, essentially the, the the main takeaway I saw there is uh, that well there are a couple. One is that, the economic recovery is going to be key this year. Uh, it is the the main thing on on the party's mind or on the government's mind. Um, at the same time, though, they're not talking about economic growth so much as they're talking about economic stability. And there's a difference here. Um, they they mention specifically, you know, stable growth. We're not talking high. Uh, high-speed growth. We're talking stable growth, enough growth to to get by, while they're also looking for stable employment, stable prices. China has not experienced the, the inflation that the rest of the world has so far, but they're worried about it. Um, and so that's going to be one of their priorities this year is to prevent uh, high levels of inflation. And they're also dealing with uh, with record uh, youth unemployment, that they're really worried about. So these are the, the issues that can really affect uh, the uh, social stability in China, which is, you know, one of the Party's main goals is to to ke- to keep it stable so that the people do not oppose its rule, um, and so that it's much more important to them than high speed growth. Um, one other thing I'd I'd say though is that uh, in addition to these economic factors they're talking about, they're talking a lot about in addition to having stable growth and maintaining that stability, at the same time making progress. And what, what they mean when they say progress is they are looking to change, uh, uh, to really transform the Chinese economy uh, in, in many ways, in ways that are more in line with China's Uh, global and domestic, the CCP's ambitions at home and and both abroad. And so what I took away from the the work report and the other statements we've seen is that there is going to be a return to some of this regulatory uh, enforcement, some of these more difficult structural, what the party calls structural reforms, which some of which are legitimate reforms and some of which are um, uh, as far from the liberal reforms the rest of the world is hoping for as as could possibly be one other thing i could mention about the the work report is that it was shorter than um than i was expecting especially Um, it wasn't too terribly short um by you know by historical standards when the previous premier wen jiabao before um li keqiang who just done. Uh, stepped down. But when his predecessor gave his last um, work report, it was a similar page length, but there was more dedicated to uh, sort of the recommendations for the future than we saw this time. This time, really, it it talked a lot about the, the past 10 years, and there was considerably less than usual focused on the coming years. Now, some people in China think we're going to see a you know something more authoritative coming out from Li Chang, the the now current mm-hmm. premier, in, in the coming weeks or months. Um, but I, I I think in general we are going to really be looking at in, in the coming weeks. Um, you know who does Li Chang meet with? Who, which ministries does he visit? Um, what does he say? What priorities does he vocalize? Because these will all. Uh, help us see the direction he plans to take things, but he's been very clear that the direction is going to be in line with Xi Jinping's um, vision, and it's and it doesn't seem that it's going to deviate much from what Li Keqiang said in in his work report.
1: And just speaking of Xi Jinping, we also saw some comments from him uh, talking about the U.S. and Western countries and, and how, uh, you know, blaming them basically for containment and encirclement and suppression of China. Uh, we talked about this previously, but now that the that the Congress is over, I wanted to, you know, see in terms of the U.S.-China relationship moving forward, uh, you know, now that, that China has directly named the U.S., now that he has been elected another you know third five-year term as president. What do you predict the future will look like if you could or at least in the near term?
0: Well, uh, the future is going to be one of. of US China tension and, and that was that was clear before she got his third mm-hmm. five-year term as president. That's much less important than the third five-year term he got as leader of the party uh, last fall. But um, what is and, – and I have to say that you know everything he said about the U.S. is standard talking points, but it is extremely significant that he actually mentioned the U.S. He did not say certain countries or certain Western countries, but he specifically mentioned the U.S. Um, so – we are sort of seeing she really as expected as, as I think most of us who look at China were expecting that his third term was going to be one where he's even more bold and, uh, and blatant in his opposition to U.S. global leadership. Um, and so we're seeing that also. I mean, we're seeing um, he also uh, has uh, you know, been very active already diplomatically, trying to put China out there and himself out there as being like a great global statesman, and China as being more responsible than than the U.S. globally, and that's the message that they're they're sending. And so, you know, we we saw what happened where he he facilitated the reestablishment of diplomatic relations between um, Saudi Arabia and Iran in in the Middle East. Um, uh, the U.S. was not present. It was China with them doing that. We also see how uh, there is going to be he's going to visit Russia and then he's going to have a talk with Zelensky. And he put out uh, China, put out this uh, proposal for how to uh, deal with the, the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, which clearly, I mean, to to us, those of us in the West, in the U.S. and, and Western Europe, um, it's almost laughable that that she would try to present himself and that China he would try to present China as um, uh, like uh, responsible in in this area. But we have to remember we are not his uh, audience. His audience is countries that are more susceptible to this type of messaging. We're talking rogue states that uh, that detest U.S. leadership as much as as China does. We're talking also authoritarian countries that may be aligned with the US now but are uncomfortable with, um, with uh, uh, the, the liberal norms, human rights and whatnot, that um, make their regimes look really bad, that she hopes to peel away from the US orbit. And we're talking especially the global south, the um, developing countries that China feels it can use um, economic enticements, coercion. To get them to align more with China, and and to these countries, it's not as black and white and as obvious uh, as it is to those of us in the developed world. Um, how uh, irresponsible, really, China has been in uh, in in the Russia-Ukraine issue and many other issues. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I also wanted to get your thoughts on uh, General Li Shengfu, who was appointed as the defense chairman. And just for some context, the Trump administration actually sanctioned him as well as China's Equipment Development Department, uh, which he was leading at the time back in 2018, for buying Russian weapons. What are your thoughts on Li being appointed to this position? Are you surprised by it?
0: I think it's unfortunate. You know, it's really important that the U.S. and China have defense dialogue. And whereas, obviously, you know, the U.S. is going to have to interact with him um, one way or another. But it would have been much more constructive if China would have uh, appointed someone who already didn't have this big black mark on them. Given the stakes here, given the importance that, that the US and China have some way of their militaries talking to each other and diffusing tensions, that's desperately needed. China stopped that engagement with the US uh, last year uh, in the aftermath of, of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei. Um, uh, there were signs when she uh, and Biden met in November that that was going to restart. And it really hasn't at this point. And so it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, hopefully, the two sides will be able to um, uh, re, restart that kind of frequent military to military dialogue because the, the, the stakes really are high.
1: Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we go, I wanted to ask if there is anything about the National People's Congress that you felt the media missed in its coverage.
0: I'm not sure the media really missed this. I mean, there's been all sorts of reporting on every side. The reporting this year has actually been, um, you know, I've been impressed with how much reporting there has been. Um, I would say, you know, sometimes some of the nuance gets missed. Um, She got his third term uh, as president, but he didn't really need that as much as he needed um, what he got last, uh, last fall, uh, the party leadership. We did see though, that she got many of his people installed in, in Key. Uh, state positions. Now, why is that important? Um, given that he already runs the party, why is it even important that he has people in the state? And this is one of the nuances that I think a lot of people miss when it comes to Chinese uh, politics. I think people think that she uh, is able to micromanage everything that happens uh, in the country. And that's just not the case. People are very important. And so by having a premier and vice premiers who are key proteges of him, and by, uh, restructuring some of the government organizations in ways that give the party, uh, more power and, and putting his key, um, uh, proteges and, and allies in, um, key positions within the state, um, uh, that essentially helps uh, ensure that, that his vision will go forward, sort of in a way that, that he likes. Now, I think another uh, nuance that's important is these are not doofuses that, uh, that he has uh, gotten into these positions. These are, you know, they may not have been as well qualified as some of the other possible people that were pretty much um, taken out of the picture at the party congress last fall. But these are people that are highly capable um, and that's one of the reasons she likes them so much. And so they are going to be better able than, um, say, you know, people who weren't necessarily as aligned with Xi's priorities. They're going to be very capable at pushing his priorities forward.
1: Well, Michael, thank you so much. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to The Daily Signal's interview with Michael Cunningham. If you haven't gotten a chance, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Michael, thanks again for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Of course. I hope everyone has a great day and we'll be back with you all soon.